welcome to Running Scared with Coach Christine. I'm Coach Christine, a level two RRCA and Run Walk Run certified coach. If you're a bit of a true crime junkie, kind of like myself, and you enjoy running, or at least you're willing to get laced up and get out there, then welcome friends. You have found your corner of the internet and we are going to have a whole lot of fun together. Let's go ahead and not waste any time. Let's get started right into today's workout with a walking warm-up. We're going to warm it up for five minutes. The nice, tall, strong warm-up in three, two, and one. Let's go. You're heading out. You're nice and tall. You're relaxed. You're staying light on your feet. If you're outdoors, I want you to be super mindful of your surroundings. Maybe you need to even pull out one of your... AirPods or your earbuds, make sure that you can hear the noises around you. You're wearing a bright, visible clothing so people can see you. And I know because you are listening to a true crime podcast, you know, my friends, somebody better know where you're at or what time to expect you. And if they don't, it's okay. Let's go ahead and send them a text right now. I want you to make sure and stay really safe. If you're inside in a treadmill, maybe you're in the gym or in your own fitness area of your home. Great. Rockstar, bring that treadmill up to a 1% incline. I know you're like, what? But 1% incline helps you to mimic those outdoors and it's nice on those joints. And trust me, those joints, they're going to appreciate it later on. Friends, I'm going to tell you before we dive into it, I'm just going to give you all of the warnings, all of the official like legal disclaimers, right? In this case, ugh. It's a tough one. I have, I have, I've struggled with this case, friends. I can't tell you how much I have. So I want you to be aware there is going to be some details of child abduction, child molestation, and it can be disturbing or upsetting. If that's not your jam, I, I get it. I totally do. I would love it if you please still subscribe to the podcast. We're going to have plenty of lighter spooky tales in the near future. Additionally, this along with any new exercise program should not be attempted without first consulting your physician. Okay, good. We got all disclaimers out of the way. I'm guessing you know exactly what you signed up for because you're here. So let's go ahead and get started. Waiting for your body to warm up a little bit with this warm up. It's super important to not skip this. Creating a little bit of inner heat. That'll help our workout go a little smoother. We're also gonna be using the rate of perceived effort. That's the RPE scale. And it goes from one to 10. One is a light and easy lemon squeezy walk. Maybe you're strolling with your bestie and you guys are talking about your favorite true crime podcast, AKA Running Scared with Coach Christine. Or maybe you're just out getting the dog for a nice gentle walk, but a 10 is an all out sprint. Like, ooh, girl, there's somebody creeping up behind you. You better sprint. We're not going to hang out at that one. We're really not going to hang out at that 10. We're going to meet it right in the middle with a little bit of a structured interval speed play. Now, this speed play could be kind of more of like a fart lick which is a Swedish word again for speed play. It just basically means that sometimes we're gonna run a little faster, sometimes a little slower, sometimes we'll pull it back. But today I'm gonna go ahead and structure it. We're going to have after this warm up, three minutes of on. That means we're gonna be at that five to six 
a little bit more of a sentence pace versus conversational. Maybe those creepers are in the bushes, you see them, so you're gonna pick up your pace. Then we're gonna pull it back into a one minute, more of an easy conversational around a four or a five. Then we'll push up four minutes again into that harder effort, pull back for two minutes. We're gonna be at the halfway point, then we'll repeat that on the other side and we'll cool it down with a five minute walk. And in between, we're gonna learn all about today's case, which again is the companion piece to episode three. It's about the Stainer family abduction. You didn't listen to episode three just yet, that's okay. I'm going to give you enough information in this case to where you don't necessarily have to listen to that one first, but I do suggest at some point, if you're at all curious, go back and give it a listen. All right, rock stars, we are less than 45 seconds away before we kick this off. We get started learning all about the Steiner family tragedy and what kind of compelled Carrie later on in life to, well, become a serial killer. 30 seconds away. We're going to pick it up into that harder effort of five or six, maybe even a seven. But right now, I would stick more to that 50 to 60% of your effort. One in 15. Suspense every single time. Going in five, four, three, two, and one. Let's cruise. Take it up three minutes, about 50 to 60% of that max effort. All right, rock stars. As I've already given you the clue, we're talking about the Stainer family. And we're going to dig a bit deeper into Carrie Stainer's family history. So I'm going to start the scene off with a police station in California and a young boy comes in and his first words to the police is, I know my first name is Steven. This went on to become a TV miniseries or made for TV movie. And we are talking about Stephen Stainer, Carrie Stainer, the Yosemite Killer's younger brother. Suffice to say that many years later, when Carrie is sitting down with the FBI agents and he's making his confession, he actually says, you know, I really would like if you guys would call some Hollywood producers. I think I'm ready for the big time. I'm ready to have my own TV miniseries. Okay? So, if that at all gives you a clue how important or how much of an impact Stephen Stainer made on Carrie, I think it does. So, my friends, we're going to take it back a little bit. Why was Stephen showing up to the police station? Why was he saying that I think my first name is Stephen? We're going to set the stage a little bit further back, Merced, California, 
we've got Steven. He's out and about. He's seven years old. He's living his best seven-year-old life. His family had just moved into the area. They had previously lived on a really large plot of land and he was a big animal lover. So he loved to play with all the little animals on the land. He kind of liked to wander a little bit and that was okay when they lived out on this bigger lot of land, but now they're more in the suburbs. He's kind of infringing on neighbors' territories. He's kind of, I'm just going to say a little mischievous. I'm going to get like a little bit of a Dennis the Menace vibe from him. Very sweet kid, but definitely getting into a little bit of trouble, kind of cutting through neighbors' yards, playing with their animals. Well, that didn't stop him from being the apple of his dad's eye. He was the youngest of five and absolutely adored by his parents. And Carrie, much older than him at this point, was charged with the responsibility of making sure that Stephen was always safe after school. We're gonna go ahead and pull back in three, two, one. Awesome work, one minute here. And then we will push back up into that four minute segment. I want you to check in with your form, nice and tall, staying relaxed and light. We're gonna set the stage back a little bit again. So Stephen, he's, why does he need Carrie looking after him after school? Really easy. It's because he doesn't tend to come right back home after school. He kind of decides to lollygaggle a little bit. Kind of love that lollygaggle word. Maybe you're even lollygaggling a little bit here. So go ahead and pick it back up. Although we pulled our pace back, we're not strolling it out, friends. His parents basically say, hey, Carrie, you're the oldest. You got to just take care of him. You got to make sure he's here. We're we're tasking you with the responsibility. Harry is a teenager at this time and he's like, okay, he is respectful. He listens to his parents. We're gonna make sure now, my friends, we're gonna push back up into that four minute segment in three, two, and one, let's go. Oh, it's a little bit of a harder effort. I know it's a little bit of a longer effort, but I believe in you. The family is kind of an all-American family. They are very, very religious and they attend church pretty much regularly. As far as the family goes, they're kind of a little bit more trusting. They're raising their children to be very respectful of their elders and of course, very respectful of people within the church and the extended family, if you will. Ever, we all know not everyone who says that they are from church not everyone even within church is necessarily somebody who should automatically given a lot of respect to so that's kind of what led the scene or laid the scene for what happened next so while we have Stephen being a little rambunctious, not going directly home, we're gonna take it back and learn a little bit about another person who plays a really integral part into Stephen and the Stainer family tragedy, Kenneth Parnell. Well, Kenneth Parnell, let's just say that he's the kind of dude that is exactly what every parent's nightmare is made out of. He's a child abductor, he's a child molester, He's already been in trouble with the authorities. He abducted a child previously and he impersonated law enforcement officials. He spent some time behind bars, but served his time and was 
set free and he decided to make his way up into the Yosemite area where he kind of got a job there. He befriends another employee, Irvin Edward Murphy at the Yosemite Lodge. And from all intents and purposes, what everyone says about Irvin or what I've seen on the internet is that Irvin was a very sweet gentleman. He was maybe a little bit less on that intelligence quotient scale. So he was a little bit more gullible. It happens and it just, Kenneth Parnell was able to charm him or convince him or cajole him into this whole thought that he was a religious man himself and that he had a calling from God to find the perfect child and to rear him for great things that God needed for him. So he said, hey, Irvin, dude, God's talking to me and God's telling me that you need to help me find this perfect child. And Irvin being a sweet, gullible man said, sure, let's make that happen. Let's figure out this kid that we can take care of and he's gonna go on to be wonderful. So Irvin and Kenneth make their way to, well, Merced and they're handing out religious pamphlets. And long story short, Kenneth was basically just checking out what kid he was gonna pretty much take home with him, who he was gonna kidnap. About 30 seconds away before we pull it back for two minutes. I know you've got this. You're maybe working a little bit more into that harder effort, but you're staying confident. Shaking your head a lot because you're thinking, no, please don't tell me. You know what's probably going to happen, though, I'm sure, right? All right, we're going to go ahead and pull it back in five, four, three, two, and one. Don't forget, we have two minutes here, and then we'll have that halfway point. So we need to get going on this story, friends. So, Kenneth, handing out pamphlets, comes across Dear Stephen Stainer who was, of course, not home right after school. He hands Stephen a pamphlet. He's like, hey, I'm with this church. We're taking up donations. Maybe your parents want to donate. And Stephen's like, yeah, um, they're great people. They probably would. So Kenneth is like, well, why don't you just get in my car? We'll, we'll go to your parents right now. And Stephen, of course, I know you're yelling right now. No, Stephen, don't. But he did. He got in the car. Now let's take our lenses back a little bit right like we're thinking 2022 why would this child have done that but remember this was the 70s it's december 4th 1972 to be exact so it was just a whole different time and again his parents were really really religious and they thought that people especially elders really didn't have any bad intentions for their child so unfortunately Kenneth did take Stephen and Carrie, his older brother, was in a world of hurt. His parents were beside themselves. They were so upset when Stephen didn't make it home. And of course, they're all points bulletin went out. They did everything they could to find him. But ultimately, the blame was placed on Carrie. His father just couldn't get past the fact that he had tasked Carrie with making sure that Stephen was always 
able to get home safely and as far as he was concerned Carrie didn't do that so friends in 10 seconds we're going to take it back up into that three minute harder effort we're in that halfway point right about here so go ahead and you turn in three two and one back up in for three minutes you've got this so fortunately kenneth starts to abuse even that very night and progressively gets worse over the next couple of weeks what kenneth decided to do was he was going to change he was going to change Stephen's hair color and he was going to enroll him in school. And he told Stephen that his parents told Kenneth to take him because they couldn't afford to keep him anymore and that he was now his adopted father. And he was going to adopt him and call him Dennis. And he basically played a father figure role to him during the day and would go in and molest him in nighttime. And I, I don't want to talk too much about that because honestly friends like ugh, I just can't tell you how frustrating it is this goes on for quite some time not only does it go on for quite some time but during this process unfortunately Kenneth starts to date a woman by the name of Barbara Matthias and she comes to live with Stephen who she thinks is Dennis and Kenneth and she starts to not only be okay with the fact that Kenneth would go into Stephen's room at night, but she starts to participate. So let's just say that Stephen's life was definitely probably not its best. However, what Kenneth would start to do is just basically give him everything he wanted. He's like, you want candy? Have candy. You want to drink alcohol? Sure. You're only nine or 10. I don't care. Drink alcohol. Stay up as late as you want. And he would do that to help to offset the amount of um, Stevens, I wouldn't say his complaints, but just basically constantly wanting to be back home. Now, Steven started to accept this as his life, and he knew something was off, but he just accepted it as his life. Another thing that Kenneth did, remember I mentioned to you guys how much Steven loved animals. So when Kenneth's mother gifted him with a dog by the name of Queenie, well, Kenneth went back home and gave Dennis, or Steven Stainer, this dog. And I'm sure, though I didn't find these details, I'm sure he used this dog, Queenie, in a lot of ways to manipulate Steven at this point. Now we're just a few more seconds away before we pull it back for that 60 seconds. And then we'll start to learn that as Steven continues to get older, Kenneth starts to lose interest in him, which is great, but not so great. So in three, two, one, let's go ahead and pull it on back. Why is it not so great? You're thinking, of course it's great. This poor kid's no longer going to be molested, right? Well, unfortunately, it's not so great is because Kenneth would not be denied. He wanted young children. So he tries to get Stephen to help him as an accomplice to bring in another child and none of those were successful and then he tries to get Barbara his girlfriend to help him bring home another young boy that was unsuccessful at this point again 
Steven's getting older. He's a pre-adolescent now. He's starting to be a teenager. So he kind of gives up on Steven. He's no longer really trying to go into his bedroom at night. I'm being very careful with my wording because this is just one of those stories. I'm sorry. But we're going to go back up this time for four minutes in three, two, and one. So he essentially has a friend of Steven's who's been coming over and kind of liking to come over because he doesn't know about the atrocities that have happened. Steven hasn't told him that. He just knows that this Kenneth dad is pretty cool because they can do whatever they want there. And I'm sure as a young teenage boy, that probably does come across as really cool. So somehow Kenneth befriends this young teenage boy who is a friend of Steven's who thinks his name is Dennis and convinces him to find, to help him bring home another young boy. And he was actually successful. They were able to, unfortunately on February 14th, 1980, they brought home a young boy by the name of Timothy White. Now, during all of this, the Stainer family has pretty much lost hope. They're shattered. They're never the same. Carrie has become very different in his demeanor. The family's become a bit maudlin, withdrawn. They have no idea that Stephen's still alive. They, again, probably just thought that he had been killed. And, and it's, just, it's just a very sad household at this point. So why this child, Timothy White, is so important to this particular story, though, is because although Stephen knew things were wrong, even though he knew Kenneth wasn't his real father, even though he probably believed somewhere deeply inside that that story that Kenneth had sold him on was not true, he hadn't worked up the courage to try to get away. But when Timothy was brought into the household, he knew he could no longer allow what had happened to him happen to anyone else. So on March 1st, while Kenneth Parnell was away at his regular night security job, because remember now he's had Steven for years. He trusts Steven completely. He doesn't think Steven's gonna go anywhere. With March 1st, 1980, Steven Stainer grabs Timothy White, this little boy, and says, we've gotta go. And they hitchhiked miles and miles away to the Ukiah Police Department. And that's when Stephen comes in and says, we just were kidnapped, we're here, and all I know is that my first name is Stephen. When they knock on the door of the Stainer household, I'm going to tell you one of the things that I found most interesting. The first thing that Mrs. Stainer thought was, what did Carrie do? Hmm. Does that lead to some foreboding? She knew that he wasn't all there, right? Long story short, March 2nd, 1980, the very next day, the police go in and they are able to arrest Kenneth Parnell. Less than 60 seconds here, friends. Before we take it back down for two minutes, then our five-minute cool-down walk. So they're thrilled to have their child back at home. Of course, though, it's not all sunshine and rainbows at this point because, well, Stephen's been living his life and he's been 
no, no rules. Things are just different for him. He has a hard time fitting back in. His parents want to treat him like he's seven. It's just, it's very difficult. And they didn't want to seek any kind of mental health therapy to help with this because the family thought that it was inappropriate to have anybody in their business like that. They also didn't really want Stephen to give a lot of details. We're going to pull back into that more conversational pace in three, two, and one. Great work. Two minutes here. So unfortunately, Stephen has a hard time adjusting to regular life again. He's being picked on at school, which I don't for the life of me understand. Carrie's having a hard time adjusting because then not only has he become the brother of the kid that was kidnapped, but now he becomes the brother of the kid that was kidnapped, but was a hero for saving this other small child. Timothy's back at home with his parents. They're very thankful they're also doing this whole big circuit where they're being interviewed with daytime show talk show host and the mini series comes up well again it doesn't just end there so steven does finally start to make a life of him for himself harry decides to seek refuge going out into outside of yosemite and then unfortunately as Stephen is starting to really make his life again, he gets married. He has two kids, a daughter and a son, Ashley and Stephen Jr. He's working with child abduction groups. He's really helping to turn his life around. He is hit by an oncoming vehicle while he's on his motorcycle and it ended up being a hit and run. So again, we continue to see this family just have tragedy after tragedy, and Carrie continues to be more and more in the background where it's like one big event that overshadows anything that Carrie could have ever brought to the table. So not only was Steven considered a hero, but then he's also given a hero's funeral for all intents and purposes because they have over more than 500 people attend this funeral. Again, it hits all the news outlets. We're going to pull it back into our cool down walk in three, two, and one. Great work, my friends. Absolutely awesome work. We're really getting to the end of learning more about how this impacted Carrie Steiner. But I think you guys get the clue already as to what's going on here. So we see that this becomes a big issue for Carrie. We learned and when he confessed in that episode three, he said that he had this lust and this need for violence of women since he was very small. So again, that that really stands out to me when we hear his mother hear a knock on her front door and the first thought is what did Carrie do so clearly there was something that was feeding it and then having this constant um, being in the background to his younger brother seemed to really really impact him so much so that when he finally did act out his violent lust and rage and he did admit to those killings it was really important to him to be able to speak to journalists and to news reporters and he really did for all intents and purposes without doubt i mean they have it on tape he wanted to speak to hollywood producer he wanted his mini series now if you're asking what happened to this horrible human being kenneth parnell and his girlfriend and long story short kenneth wasn't able to be put away for his 
sexual molestation of Steven Steiner because Steven really wasn't willing to discuss a lot about what had happened. So he, the authorities were able to get enough evidence to prosecute him for child kidnapping, but he was out and about again pretty shortly after that. He didn't really serve much time. His girlfriend served zero time because she helped cooperate. He went on. Later on in life, the authorities kept watching him and thankfully, as he attempted to pay his caregiver's sister when he was in his mid-70s, she found all about him because she had Googled, I'm sure, and she went to the authorities and they helped do a big sting operation where they were essentially able to set him up where they knew for a fact that he was trying to abduct a child for sexual purposes so he was finally able to get sent away until he met his natural death. Carrie again goes on to serve out his sentence in San Quentin and the Stainer family has never been the same. So unfortunately it's been one tragedy after another for the Stainer family. Stainer's Mr. Steiner, Stephen and Carrie's father did pass away when he was in his 70s and for all intents and purposes, everyone said that he was never the same after his beloved child had been kidnapped and the family was never the same. And the lessons to this story, I try to listen, I try to wrap all these up with lessons to these stories and this one was a little bit harder was, you know, because we do as much as we can as parents, I'm sure, to try to make sure the kids are not kidnapped, but a couple of lessons to be learned here is first and foremost, as much as we should have respect of our elders, we also need to make sure that our younger generation is as aware as possible and I think the other biggest lesson is to not task older siblings with responsibilities that are kind of beyond them from a maturity standpoint. So this was not light and fluffy. I know that most of my true crime stories are not light and fluffy, but this one was a little heavier. It will probably be, I don't know, never when I do another child abduction story. <laughs> it was by far one of the hardest ones to do. I've deleted about 48 different versions of this because it's just such a heavy conversation friends but you did absolutely awesome you got in a great workout and i'm so 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 proud of you for getting in this structured speed play if you have any questions for me please reach out you can find me at christine at runwinefinishlines.com i would so love it if you would continue to subscribe listen along i've got some really fun things coming on up with some lighter spooky tales like i keep promising and you guys have been sending me some really really good true crime cases so keep listening i have some great things in store now i want you to make sure that you hydrate you have some really good nutrition, do some static stretches, and then join me for the next episode of Running Scared with Coach Christine.